Hello, hello, wonderful people. This is the G&K Show, but you're just stuck with me today. We have a lot going on in professional sports. I'm going to do my best to take you around it in a short amount of time. Welcome back to Gabe's Game Plan. It's a great day to be a sports fan, let me tell you. So much has been happening in the world of all sorts of different sports. I'm going to try to recap it all for you here in a really brief period. Try to keep it short. Respect your time. Uh, I know you have other podcasts to listen to, namely the other two shows that we've been doing, Two Guys, One Mike, No Clue, and Four Guys and Still No Clue. Uh, But, yeah, I'm going to take you around the world of sports really fast. So our starting topic, number one, off the bat, Bill Belichick this morning. I'm recording this on January 11th this morning. Mutually parts ways with the New England Patriots. So uh, after one of the most dynastic tenures of any coach in professional sports, Bill Belichick leaves the Patriots after what I can honestly say was a pretty disappointing last few years. It's no secret that the Patriots post Tom Brady have really struggled. They had that year with uh, Cam Newton at the helm. Um, they've kind of gone back and forth on some of these different coordinators. Matt Patricia was at the helm for a year at offensive coordinator, which don't even get me started on that. Having a defensive coordinator at OC is quite the strategic choice if I'm Coach Belichick. Um, and frankly, I think it was uh, a wise decision by Robert Kraft to let the coach go. I just think the league has changed. Bill Belichick is a legendary coach, nothing against him. He's amazing defensively. He's great with culture, all sorts of things like that. But he started bringing in, you know, his – and he brought his son in as a special teams coordinator. Some of those other things like that just didn't make sense. The, like I said, Patricia, at offensive coordinator, not what should be happening at a National Football League team. So, But, you know, really, that's, that's neither here nor there. Additionally, the sentiment from Belichick's camp is that he's going to continue to try to coach somewhere else. I know the Washington Commanders came out today and said that they were not going to go after Bill Belichick. I think it would be an an interesting fit. They were heavily linked to him before. Uh, But now it sounds like he's not going to Washington. I think there are several other places that could use a great culture builder. Ahem, the Chargers, Dylan, I know you're listening. Um, But I think there's a lot of great coaches, some good spots. The Chargers are a great spot. The Raiders are a great spot. Um, But this happens every year. We always get about seven, eight, nine head coaching vacancies every season, which is about a third of the league when you think about it. Quite. Quite a lot. I mean, maybe not a third, 25%. This is not a math podcast. Sorry. Um, But regardless, there's a lot of head coaching positions. Carolina, I'm not going to touch too much on the Carolina Panthers, but that is easily the least uh, attractive job right now if you're a head coaching candidate. Nobody should want to go to Carolina. No first round pick. Uh, A quarterback who is a little undersized didn't look particularly great this last year. So, um, but uh, a lot of options for Bill Belichick. I think, you know, if I'm Bill, I just step away from coaching. I think he's a little tone deaf on offense. We saw that last couple of years. He just can't draft offensive talent. Brady's a big uh, uh, Patriots fan, and if he was here, he would vouch for it. They just cannot draft offensive talent for the life of them. They would, you know, shove all this money in free agents' faces at offensive players, Nelson Aguilar, Juju Smith-Schuster, guys that just had no business getting paid what they were offered. Um, Patriots were just tone deaf on offense. But yes, the Patriots move on from head coach Bill Belichick. The childhood era of Tom Brady and Coach Bill uh, coaching those Patriots dynasties are officially over. 
Uh, as we're going to mention as well, Pete Carroll let go by the Seattle Seahawks. He's going to retain with the team and stay on in a management role, which is awesome. I know at the University of Washington, their athletic director did that. And now he's in the front office because they want smart people in the building continuing to make personnel decisions. So that's why the Seahawks are retaining Pete Carroll. Um, and then additionally, the Titans fired Mike Vrabel, which is a pretty you know head-shaking kind of move. It doesn't really make sense why they did this. Mike Vrabel was one of the lone bright spots about that team and that franchise, frankly. Uh, they have an interesting quarterback problem. They don't really have talent everywhere else. Derrick Henry's a free agent. The defense isn't great. So I think the Titans are in a really unique spot. Or not not unique spot. Sorry, that's a, that's a poor choice of words. They're in a poor spot. <laughs> I'll use that word. Um, Titans don't look great. Uh, and Vrabel will be snatched up inevitably by somebody else on the market because he's a great coach and he built a great uh, culture. Um, and as I've already mentioned, a lot of teams are looking for culture builders. So that all being said, I'm going to move on now. We have a full slate of NFL playoff games coming this weekend. A lot of amazing games. Matthew Stafford's return to Detroit um, to face the Lions, which is going to be an amazing ball game. That one's uh, that one's circled on my calendar. Oh, and I wanted to touch on Dolphins Chiefs Saturday night. It's only on Peacock. So if you're listening to this prior to the game, you need to get Peacock if you want to watch it. However, the really interesting point about this, the kickoff is supposed to be zero degrees Fahrenheit at kickoff for Chiefs Dolphins. Why is this important? Because the Dolphins are a warm weather team. They just played in Miami last week against the Buffalo Bills. They lost to the Bills, losing the division, meaning that then they now have to go on the road. And I can't really think of a worse place to play in the first round of a playoff than Kansas City, Missouri. No offense to Kansas City. We love you. We have actually have a couple of listeners from Kansas City. So full disclosure, we love you guys. But if you're from Miami, warm weather person, you don't want to go to Kansas City in January. Sorry, just not going to happen. The Chiefs are used to this. They are playoff uh, tested. Andy Reid is, Patrick Mahomes is, Travis Kelsey, they all are. And I think if you're the Dolphins I think the wind chill that day was supposed to be minus 30 around at that point of, of the game. The National Weather Service was getting involved. That's how uh, cold it's going to be. I'm fascinated to see how the game plays out. I think it's going to be heavily determined on the run game in the trenches, of course, as is every playoff game, as is every cold weather game. But especially a team as reliant on offense as the Dolphins, I think they're going to struggle mightily, and the Chiefs might actually pull this one out. I got to be honest, I I don't have much faith in the Chiefs past this week, to be honest with you, but I think this is a favorable matchup for them. I think they match up really well. Regardless, that being said, amazing slate of playoff games to come this weekend. We have games Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Make sure you stay close to your TVs. Going to be a lot of high-quality football, really great quarterbacks on display, aside from maybe the Steelers and the Browns. You know, sorry, no disrespect, guys. But... That being said, we're going to pivot now. We're going to go to college football. The biggest news out of college football lately, of course, uh, Michigan winning the national title um, on Monday. That was a that was a great game. If you're Michigan, if you're Washington, you're left a little underwhelmed. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. did not play that great. J.J. McCarthy didn't play particularly well. I'm sorry. I'm not on the whole first-round quarterback type train for J.J. McCarthy. Uh, but that Michigan team all season was just like a boa constrictor. They just would stick around and just continue to beat you down quarter after quarter, snap after snap. And that's exactly what they did to Washington. We knew going into the game they weren't that uh, Penix wasn't going to have as much success against that secondary as he did against Texas. Texas really struggles in pass defense. And Michigan's one of Michigan's strengths is their defense, especially pass defense and run defense. 
but I got to be honest, I didn't see it being as lopsided as it was. Uh, the score, you know, the score re- doesn't reflect. It was close for much of the game. Michigan kind of pulled away late. Uh, but it really, even when it was close, it didn't feel like it was that close. Um, and I guess that's my one knock on Washington. It just didn't feel like they were ever really in the game. They couldn't really get any momentum going. Uh, they had a brief momentum going into halftime, and then they threw a pick on the first play of the second half. Uh, regardless, congratulations to the Michigan Wolverines. Additionally, right after that, uh, kind of then, and also the day before uh, Bill Belichick announced his retirement, Nick Saban retires from college football, head coach at Alabama, seven national titles, six with the uh, six with the Tide, and one with LSU. Really, I mean, I, I don't want to say this, but he kind of helped stand up the SEC. Nick Saban was a was a figure in the SEC and really kind of helped put them on the map. Not to discourage, you know, uh, what Spurrier did at Florida and some of these other great coaches of old, but Saban really kind of helped turn the SEC into what it is today. Those are a lot of his coaches on the, some of those other competitors. Kirby Smart's from his tree. Lane Kiffin's from his tree. All sorts of guys all over college football especially are from the Saban tree. They kind of learned from them. They got to see him, things like that. So I – all the respect and love in the world for Nick Saban. He's an amazing coach. Uh, I think, you know, he'll go on to broadcasting. He's going to be wildly successful, make tons of money. He owns a car dealership, owns several, I believe. Saban's going to be just fine. But, uh, of course, we had to give his him his homage uh, as one of the best college – no, as the best college football coach of all time. I don't think it'll ever really be tested. The era of dominance – or the – excuse me – how dominant he was able to be over the area over the era that he was dominant, we won't ever see again. Those of you that know me might understand that I consume a lot of sports media. And on that same note of Nick Saban, uh, there was a statistic that I heard this morning that said for 15 out of his 17 seasons as head coach at Alabama, they had achieved number one in the AP poll at least one time. That is unprecedented. Do you realize that 15 years he reached number one in the AP poll? That is, nobody will reach that again. I know everybody wants to talk about the success of Kirby Smart and Georgia, but that simply will not happen again. 15 out of 17 years he reaches number one. That is unprecedented. That is blasphemous, out of this world, amazing. And frankly, it's the reason why he gets paid as much as he does to be the coach that he is. Saban's an amazing coach, amazing recruiter. I think part of it was in the, an interview with him came out today. Uh, but this era of college football, every player movement is on a different level than it ever has been before. I think there's an argument to be made that it's tougher to win consistently in the National Football League because you get one first round draft pick a year. Free agency is uber competitive and there's a salary cap. In college football, I know they have NIL now, which has totally changed the game, but you get to essentially handpick like 25 first-round picks essentially every season in your signing class. So Saban really gets to kind of pick his guys versus Bill Belichick. A guy like Bill Belichick doesn't get to pick his guys. Regardless, both are wildly successful and should be, you know, they're going to build statues after both of them. Um, they're going to continue to remember them and honor them as long as they're alive and even when they pass away. Uh, but regardless, all the respect in the world to Nick Saban amazing coach and uh, look forward to seeing what he does next. Additionally, Dan Lanning staying at Oregon. This was kind of a big headline. As soon as it was announced that Nick Saban was retiring, Dan Lanning was the favorite, according to Vegas, 
to be the next head coach at Alabama. Now, Dan Lanning has ties in the South. He came from the Kirby Smart tree. That's kind of why he's this like tough guy, a little cocky, a little confident. That's why he's been successful at Oregon, namely. But you have to think that the Alabama job, there's few people who are going to turn down the Alabama job. And that's it's really simple because Nick's it is the Mecca of college football. I was talking to a buddy of mine last night. It's the Mecca of college football. Alabama is. They continue to recruit really highly. They have all the donors in the world that are going to continue to pour money into the program that want to see it be successful. So if you're Dan Lanning, he turned down the job, which he put out a really cool hype video and said, hey, if you guys want a coach who's going to stick around, you come here. I think it's an amazing slogan, and Oregon is going to be a powerhouse in the Big Ten. Uh, But kind of shocking to me that he turned down the Alabama job. I mean, the next uh, favorite, I believe, is Mike Norvell from FSU. He's the new favorite. and I'm fascinated to see where they go because I think a lot of these coaches have – you get a sense of pride from these guys building up these other programs at other schools. You know, Norvell at FSU, Lane Kiffin at uh, Ole Miss, you know, Kirby Smart at Georgia. And so they don't necessarily want to leave right away, but at the same time, it's Alabama. If Alabama's calling the phone, sometimes you just got to pick it up. Kudos to Lanning for uh, turning it down. But I'm really curious to see uh, where Alabama goes with their head coaching search next. Additionally, I'm going to move on to the wide world of Major League Baseball. You all know that's where my heart is. I'm a baseball guy at heart. I love all sports. That's why I try to cover as many as I can. You guys will get some F1 coverage closer to the season. Hint, hint. I'll get some NBA coverage as the playoffs get closer. Maybe even a little March Madness as this comes along. Hint, hint. A lot of good sports to come in the next few months. However, I wanted to shift gears and talk about Major League Baseball because there's some stuff going on with these free agents. The Cubs get Shota Imanaga uh, from NPB um, just a few days ago. Shota is kind of like the lesser known of some of these Japanese free agents, of course, at the top. Otani and Yamamoto, which speaking of, if you want to see our full breakdown on those free agents, go watch me and Kenji talk about them on Four Guys and Still No Clue. That uh, analysis and uh, podcast is up wherever you get your shows, probably right where you're listening to this. Um, and that's a great insight into some of these free agents. I actually spoke with Joe, who's another analyst on that show, uh, but wasn't able to record. Uh, Imanaga, if Yamamoto is a 10, he said Imanaga is about an 8, which is still great value. Watching some of Imanaga's tape and hearing some of the different uh, statistics about it, he struggles with homers. Now, and why would this worry me as a Major League Baseball fan, or even a Cubs fan, actually? In Japan, it's not necessarily thought of as a league that is super homer friendly or uh, homer centric. They're not going up there to hit homers every time. Some of the things that uh, international ball players have said when they come to America for the first time, and I'm sourcing Trevor Plouffe on this. Shout out Trevor Plouffe. Shout out talking baseball, especially. Um, but Trevor Plouffe says that all these international free agents come over and they say everybody has pop. Everybody can hit the ball out of the ballpark. And that's true for the most part. I mean, even in batting practice, guys that hit for average really well, steal a lot of bags, maybe not super homer uh, happy in games. Those guys can still go over the fence with the best of them in batting practice. And I think if you're in Managa, it's a good spot to go in Chicago because that ball does not fly in April and May. And late March, all of April, early May, ball is not going to fly out of Wrigley as well. So maybe he gets off to a hot start. But the problem is that ball does start to fly out of that park in uh, the, the dog days of summer and even towards the fall. 
And I worry that Imanaga, if he's struggling with homers in Japan, he's going to face heavy righty lineups in America. He think on the uh, his splits were not great in Japan facing right-handed hitters. I believe they hit over 300 off of him. Um, he's going to face a lot of right-handed hitters. And if he struggles with homers, I mean, he throws low, mid-90s. He's a bit of a crafty guy. You're going to throw 90 over the middle to big league hitters. They're going to smack that out of the park at a pretty high clip. So I think it's great that they got Imanaga. They signed him four years, $53 million. It's kind of a bargain considering some of these other prices that have been handed out to pitchers, as we'll get to in just a second. Um, but I think it's an interesting signing. It's one that I'll be paying attention to. He's, I guess, if Otani is Japanese free agent one, Yamamoto is one B, and Imanaga is two. So I'm really fascinated to see where uh, they put him in the rotation, how he performs, and uh, what the cup season is going to look like. Uh, additionally, as of about an hour ago, Marcus Stroman has signed a deal or agreed to a deal with the New York Yankees. This is interesting on a couple different fronts. I think the average annual value is a two-year deal, $18.5 million as reported by Joel Sherman uh, for each year, which is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. But Stroman had, has a bit of a history with Yankee fans. Uh, anybody that's been on Twitter or pays attention to you know Yankees or MLB Twitter over the last few years knows that Stroman had a rant he went on a couple seasons ago talking about how poor the Yankees will continue to be. They spend all this money every offseason. They continue to underperform. And it's just this endless cycle. It continues to get more embarrassing as they spend more money and continue to underperform. And then a report came out that he was looking at going to the Yankees. And all these Yankee fans were like, well, wait a minute. Is this the same guy that was talking crap about us for so long? And looks like the Yankees' ownership looked right past that. Stroman looked right past that and wanted to come play for the Yankees. Maybe it's the Juan Soto effect. Maybe it's Aaron Judge effect. Whatever it may be. Marcus Stroman, pending a physical, is a New York Yankee. I think if you're in the AL East, you faced Stroman before. He was a Blue Jay for a really long time. He's had a couple good years since. He's probably a middle-of-the-rotation kind of guy for the Yankees. The Yankees needed started pitching, so that's kind of why this works out for them. But the fascinating part is, how is he going to perform in these AL East parks? So, of course, we know Fenway, he got that short porch out and left, he's going to struggle. Um, at least pitching at Fenway. Everybody, Everybody's ERA is inflated at Fenway. It's just like pitching at Coors Field in Colorado. Similarly, I mean, the Rogers Center, that lineup bashes. The Rays are always going to be the Rays. And the Orioles, fingers crossed, hopefully they have a season that, at least offensively, that rivals last season's. So it's not going to be uh, easy sledding for Stroman uh, in New York. But I think it's an interesting signing for them. Uh, I don't get in the habit of watching a whole lot of Yankees games, but I have, I have to say I will tune in on his starts because I'm fascinated to see how he plays with that market. He's a super passionate player. Uh, he uh, clearly he buys into the locker room. He's a good locker room guy. I'm curious to see how he fits in with that fan base, um, especially if he starts to you know struggle with performance. How those fans will take it if he gets booed? How does he perform after that? That sort of thing. And then additionally, touching on the O's here for a second, I haven't had much uh, much time on these shows to talk about the O's in this offseason. They signed Craig Kimbrell. Uh, early on in the offseason, just a just a two-year deal, um, or maybe even a one-year deal. Uh, he had a great season last year as an all-star for the Phillies. Uh, had that Gave up that big homer in the uh, uh, championship series, though, um, to Alec Thomas. So Phillies fans aren't particularly fond of him. But with Felix Bautista out, the O's need somebody in the back end of that bullpen that can be uh, dependable. And I think Kimbrell is that guy. You know, is he going to go perfect for you in saves? Probably not. 
Is he going to have maybe like a 3-4 ERA? Probably. Is he going to walk some guys? Sure will. But is he a guy you want in the back end over like a Mike Bauman? Who, unless you're a nose fan, you don't know who Mike Bauman is. And trust me, you don't want to find out either. A CNL Perez? You don't want to find out either. Some of these other alternatives that the O's had in that back end of the bullpen, you just don't want to see in a high leverage spot late in the game. And frankly, I'd like a guy, a veteran like Kimbrough, he's 36, a veteran like Kimbrough in the back end who still has a little bit of velo, a little bit of touch on some of those breaking balls. Uh, hopefully can get us three outs at the end of games. The plan is for him to be the closer for the Orioles for the 2024 season. I'm really curious to see how that pans out. The O's should have leads late in games. Fingers crossed he doesn't blow them. O's just got to get to the playoffs. That's my big thing. I'm not as worried about the regular season. Get to the playoffs, get hot. And then finally, we're going to shift gears one last time. It's been a short episode. This has been awesome. Uh, we're going to shift to the NBA. Uh, as hit all social media platforms, the uh, Toronto Raptors head coach went on a bit of a tirade uh, a couple of nights back after their loss to the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, there was a huge free throw disparity towards the end of the game. I believe it was 23-2 to two, uh, free throws for the Lakers and the Raptors which is massive. Half of those for the Lakers came in the last 30 seconds of the game as the Raptors had to foul. So if you take away that half because the Raptors had to foul, you're still down to like 11 to two, pretty big disparity, uh, but not as bad. But the Raptors head coach went on a massive tirade. If you haven't seen it, it's hilarious. Go look at it. It's an all-time rant at the podium. He was fined $25,000 for it, which he should have been because that was, it was pretty egregious and he was calling out the referees and, you know, he said a whole bunch of vulgar things like, if this is how it's going to be every night, then don't don't even have us come out here. Just let us know or we won't even come. Things like that that you just can't do in the NBA to referees. So, And then additionally, on the topic of the Lakers, I don't follow the NBA that closely, but I'm trying to for the sake of this show, for your enjoyment. Lakers have been struggling mightily. Um, they're on the fringe of the playoffs. I don't believe that they have a playoff spot right now. I think they're just a couple games ahead of the Utah Jazz, who have been piss poor this year. They're just ahead of the Jazz. Uh, and the Lakers just kind of unperformed. They won the in-season tournament, and they've really struggled since then. They don't have great perimeter shooting on the outside. Anthony Davis will give you a great defensive performance every once in a while. also pop off offensively every once in a while. LeBron James is getting older. They just don't have the pieces all around them to be a super successful squad. Uh, and then since we're talking NBA for fun, I saw this quote by Kevin Durant the other day that I thought was hilarious. He said, on the on topic of uh, staying with the Phoenix Suns because the trade deadline and the NBA looms, he said, uh, "I'm not one like I'm I'm here to fight. I'm not one to to back away from fight. I'm here for the grind." And that was one of those posts on Instagram where you go straight to the comments as fast as you can because he definitely hasn't been that way. He wasn't that way with the Thunder. wasn't that way with Golden State. wasn't that way with the Nets. And now that he's with the Suns, all of a sudden he wants to try to fight. Whatever, Kevin. Whatever you say, man. That's okay. However, thank you all for listening to an episode of Gabe's Game Plan. I'm going to try to put these out a little bit more regularly. I like this short, you know, uh, concise length of a podcast. Try to get you your news in short bits. Um, now that I'm not blabbering on to my uh, friends the entire time. Um, but hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully it was insightful. Get you a brief recap. It looks like we're coming up on 24 minutes. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, catch this episode wherever you get your podcasts. Go follow us on social media. We'll be promoting this all over the place. Um, and yeah, have a great weekend, everybody.